Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you didn't come to church today to be uh, entertained, as I'm not an entertainer. I'm a preacher, and I preach the Word of God and what the Bible says, too. I don't uh, sugarcoat it. I don't, uh, I'm not here to make you laugh. I mean, if something I say makes you laugh, praise God, laugh. But this is the Word of God, and this is to learn about God. I hope you came to church to learn about the Lord today and to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ today, not just to be entertained. If this is your first time here, hello, I'm Pastor Ed, and I come to you from McKinney, Texas, and this is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days. And this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. All right, so we're all a flesh person, and we're all a spirit person, so we have to understand the things of God, and we know the Bible says that we only do that by the Spirit of God. So let's pray and ask God to help us understand His Word, and then not only to pray and understand the Word, but Jesus says that He doesn't just want us to understand it, but He wants us to apply it Amen. to our lives. As God gave me an interesting saying years ago, but wisdom not applied is foolishness. So we can know all the things about God all the way around, but if we don't apply them to our lives, then they do us no good at all. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much, Lord God, for your words. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your wisdom. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love, Lord God, that you share your love with us, Lord God. You, you, you love with an extravagant love, Lord God. You love with a, just an awesome, an amazing love, Lord God. And we don't, Lord God, just, just that's... That simple, we don't, Lord. We, we, in you, we can do it better than we did it before you. But, Lord, we still fall way short of your love. But thank you for sharing your love with us. Lord, we uh, ask today, Lord God, that you would help us. Help us all to understand your holy word today, God. Help us to all understand what you have to say to us, Lord. And as I prayed, Lord God, or as I just said before I started praying, Lord God, help us not only to understand your words, but Lord, then to make application to our lives upon whatever your word says or whatever examples we see in your word. For that is why scripture is written. It's written to help us learn about you so we can follow you and then follow you the ways in which you give us example in your word, the ways in which you approve. Not, of course, the flawed ways of the people that are in the Bible, but of course, the ways that you approve. So Lord, help us to do those things today and tomorrow and for the rest of the days of our whole entire life. God, we Thank you, and we love you, and we praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. Amen. So you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. We're going to be in the very last verse, Acts chapter 12, verse 25, and Acts 13, 1 through 3. So the title of our sermon today, kind of a weird title. Actually, God uh, kind of blessed me. I didn't actually get it till just this morning. I was kind of sweating about it. And oh, full of faith, my wife says to me just last night, Oh, you'll get it. Praise God. She was right. Godly assumptions and fasting matters to God. Godly assumptions and fasting matters to God. Praise be to God. Acts chapter 12, verse 25, and then 13, 1 through 3. If you guys want to read it with me or just follow along or listen, whichever you'd like. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Acts 13, 1-3. Now in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laying hands on them, they sent them away. So, all right, last week we had our special message from the Lord to our church about the many miracles God has done to show us that we're supposed to keep going as we are now. Four things have not gone the way that we've expected them to go over the last five years. And this week we're back to normal. We pick up where we left off two weeks ago, Acts chapter 12, back to our verse by verse, book by book, or chapter by chapter teaching of the Bible. Two weeks ago now, we studied Acts chapter 12, 20 through 24, almost finishing the whole book of Acts, and all, uh, Acts chapter 12, minus the one verse 12. Uh, so 
in case you didn't notice. Uh, I did get one comment that I missed that one verse, uh, and they, they said, well, I wasn't sure if you missed it, Pastor, because, you know, you taught the whole chapter, but you missed that last one. And so I was thankful that they were looking out for me, but I knew that I didn't teach verse 25, uh, but I didn't teach it. The reason was simply it did not fit into the, con- into the context of the section that we just studied. The, the section that we studied that week had to do with God's vengeance upon Herod for his war on God's church for, as the title of that sermon stated, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 25, in case you didn't notice, has absolutely nothing to do with Herod's war on God's church or God's war on Herod. Instead, Luke really, in this last verse 25, gives us a follow-up of what happened in Acts 11, 27 through 30. I'm going to read that back over just so you know, kind of fit contextually. Acts 11, 27 through 30 says this, And in these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Section ends on the fact that they were preparing a love offering for the churches in Judea, about about to send it, to the hands of, about to send it, excuse me, by the hands of Saul and Barnabas. And again, our very last verse of chapter 12, thinking of what we just read in Acts 11, 27 to 30, look at verse 25 again now, thinking of that. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So putting Acts 11, 27 through 30 and Acts 12, 25 together, we see this. The church in Antioch, these converted Hellenists, had gathered up their love offering and they sent it to Judea to the churches who were hurt by the famine. Remember, they weren't wealthy enough. They didn't have the finances enough to get through that famine on their own. And the love offering was sent to Judea by the hands of Barnabas and Saul, as was agreed upon. Uh, But now in Acts chapter 12, verse 25, Luke is telling us that they had fulfilled their mission. We suppose that they brought that love offering to the churches in Judea because the Acts 11 told us they did. And they are going back to the church in Antioch as well as having picked up a traveler or work companion to go with them. That work companion history tells us was John Mark. This was Peter's understudy, the one that wrote the Gospel of Mark, John whose surname was Mark. And we know that they came back to Antioch because Acts 13.1 tells us because of what the first part there says. Now in the church there was an Antioch, uh, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menam who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Did you notice there and back, back in Antioch, Saul and Barnabas were there. Now before I go on any further in teaching this verse, I must make a subtle kind of long yet careful statement upon something that I just said earlier. I had said earlier that we read of Saul and Barnabas back there in Acts 11 going and taking their love offering to the churches in Judea, but here in this section here and here in this verse here, we don't read that they actually went to Judea here. We we read that back in Acts 11, and here we read that they were had come back from returning from their ministry. Ministry of what? Ministry to do what? Well, what did we do? This verse here does not tell us that they went to Judea to drop off the love offering and that they came back from delivering that love offering. The verse just stated simply, verse 25, and when Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, when they had fulfilled their ministry, ministry of what? That verse there didn't tell us that. But we assumed... We gave a godly assumption that that ministry was the one back in Acts 11 where they had went and sent a love offering, right? And then here it says they came back. We're, we're, we're making a godly assumption that they came back from that ministry. But this verse in Acts 12 does not simply say that. It does not literally say that in this verse. How do we know that they ever left? Well, of course, the scripture in Acts 11 told us. But how do we know here that their coming back was coming back from what they did back in Acts 11? Scripture doesn't tell us plainly. Now, you'd say, 
Now, wait a minute now, Pastor Ed. We don't need to read those ideas in Scripture. We have when we can put things together and we can fill and we can kind of sew together the Scripture and we can look here and we can look there and then we kind of know, well, they're filling the ministry, they're coming, they fulfilled their ministry, they came back. But again, I'd say you're 100% right. But to be fair, the Bible doesn't, in this verse, literally record them ever leaving for Judea, nor them taking that love offering. So now, and it doesn't read that that's what they did, and that's what they're coming back from. What we did is what I kind of just said. We did something very common that everybody does when they're reading the Bible. You see, what we did was we made a godly assumption in Scripture that we're putting these things together, and that's Right, you see, because Scripture didn't tell us of their departure trip in this verse or of the specific mission or what they did in this ministry that they went for. We just had to kind of sew them together. We were legit in making the godly assumptions that we did of these issues because it was context and it was the whole Bible. So again, although the Bible didn't say these things literally in one spot, we know that they did. We know that's what they meant because of the context of the whole entire section of Scripture, chapters across the board, not just one verse, and because of our godly assumption to the text, right? And it's something that everybody does. We make godly assumptions and we make godly decisions and interpretations, contextual interpretations on Scripture. We see the same ideas with our, with our godly uh, assumptions that we need to make in the, in the idea of Adam and Eve and their first child, Cain. Right? You may be thinking, what? Adam and Eve and their first child, Cain. Well, Genesis 4.1. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. We've read that verse over probably hundreds of times. We've heard it in church probably hundreds of times. But how is this the same situation? Who delivered Cain? Who delivered Cain? It was only Adam and Eve on the whole earth. Who delivered Cain? We don't, the Bible doesn't say if there was only two people on earth and they had Cain, who, who was Cain's deliverer, right? Bible doesn't say it. But we must say, if, if we're going to say, well, if Scripture doesn't say it, then we can't say that, right? Because that's what some people say. Well, if Scripture doesn't say it, then we must stay silent, right? Yet we must say that nobody did. Well, and, and using logic on, let's say, nobody delivered Cain, then that means that Eve just gave birth and Cain fell on the ground out of her womb when she had Cain. Now, that's absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? That's absolutely ridiculous. So nobody caught him. So Adam and Eve, well, there's nobody else. Well, then she just had him on the ground. You know, Scripture's silent, so we just... No, even that's, a, even that's an assumption. It's just not a biblical one. So either we need to say that she delivered the child right onto the ground, or using exegetical reasoning means that we look to the scriptures, to what the scriptures say, and formulate a decision or a context or an interpretation from the scriptures. We use our exegetical reasoning. Contextually, there were only two people on earth, so then if there were only two people on earth, Adam and Eve on the earth, we must deduce uh, using a godly assumption that since Eve couldn't be catching Cain from her womb, she was given birth, we must surmise that Adam had to play doctor in that situation. Well, only two people. Uh, same situation with on the Bible. How old was the earth when God created it? How old was the earth? Was the earth one day old? Well, of course the world was one day old. But did God make the earth one day old with features of one day old? Were all the cows and all the trees that Adam and Eve were tending to and eating? I I've never seen a plant that's one day old be able to feed somebody. It's impossible. So we must surmise, make a, a godly assumption that the earth wasn't just one day old characteristic-wise. We must say that the world was. We have, to, we have to guess. We don't really know, but it wasn't one day old. Same with how old were Adam and Eve in their bodies when they were created. We read that right shortly after they were created, they had a child. So can children of one day old have other children? If they had the physical features of one day old as a child? Well, of course not. That's ridiculous. But godly assumption then tells us that God made them with physical features, although one day old, they were maybe in their 20s, in their teens, in their 30s. You know, we don't know. We have to make a godly assumption that they were not bodily one day old according to their features, didn't we? 
That's a godly assumption. I mean, whether you realize it or not, everybody does this kind of stuff when we read the Bible. Everybody makes godly assumptions. How about this one, these, these last two? Did the disciples or Jesus Christ ever use the bathroom? Oh, scripture doesn't say. Well, well, if Scripture's silent, then we just can't say it. Because people will tell you that. Well, if Scripture's silent, then we just can't say. Well, I guess they just held it. Or, or you know what, maybe they just didn't have any parts. Now, that's, even that's an assumption, but it's not a godly assumption, right? Okay, yes, we know that they must have used the bathroom, but the Bible is silent, it doesn't say. How about Mary? For all you ladies out there that have ever had kids. Did Mary have child pain? Did she have labor pains? Did she have birth pangs? Well, godly assumption, Bible doesn't say, so well, the Bible's silent, what must be No. Godly assumption says, no, every woman has labor pains. God said you're going to bear forth children in pain, and that's what's going to happen. So we know that Mary had pain when she was born, right? Uh, big point here, God's Word or His Holy Scripture doesn't tell us all things. God's Word doesn't fill in every single blank. The Bible is silent on some things, but with godly assumptions, with, with contextual understanding, taking the whole Word, and what does the whole Word said? We can make godly and wise assumptions to get our interpretations. The reason I bring up these points about godly assumptions is that we must make upon Scripture uh, when interpreting it is because sometimes, again, a lot of times the Bible doesn't say things plainly. It just, it just doesn't. And it requires that we use our common sense that God gave us endowed with context. What does the whole Scripture say? What does the whole section, what does the whole chapter say? Endowed, of course, with His Holy Spirit, because you see a difference within people that try to interpret the Bible, but they don't have the Holy Spirit, and they're just doing it from a humanist point of view. And then you see a difference when somebody has the Holy Spirit, and they're just reading the Bible for what it says contextually, right, to what to the interpretations that those people make. And we must, those of us that are children of God, we must be careful to fill in the blanks when we're reading the Bible with the contextual, logical absence of information when, you want, when we want to interpret God's Word. And this is something, again, that everybody does. The question is not when you read the Bible, are you going to make assumptions? The question is, are you going to make godly and contextual and exegetical assumptions, or are you going to make assumptions that are against God's Word? that go that are eisegetical, which, which means that we come in with a certain thing in our mind and we, we have this idea in our mind and we're going to make it fit in Scripture. No matter what, we're going to make it fit. And this is dangerous. The main reasons I brought up this idea today is, num number one, to tell you to be careful when you're making godly assumptions on, on Scripture. Be careful. Look at what the whole Bible says. Look at what the whole context of the Word. Look at what the whole context of uh, the paragraphs and the, the sections are saying. Not just one word or one, I'm making a whole doctrine out of one word. And that's number one. And, and two, exegetically, in one instance, for instance, me, Personally, it's not everybody's belief, but, but biblically, I see that there were more apostles from in Scripture and even past Scripture than the Bible alludes to with just the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The Bible records that there's 12 apostles of the Lamb in the Gospels and in Revelation. But was there more? Were there more? And are there still more? Well, the fact that Scripture records both Paul and Matthias being added to the original 11 makes 13 already. Okay? which is more than just the original 12 apostles of the Lamb without any other scripture added. But when you add in more scripture, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, the Bible says this, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers for what? The equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, we could say woman, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Well, I, I just have a question. Is anybody that you've ever met, including yourself, are you in the fullness of Christ? Have you reached the fullness of Christ? Because I know I haven't. I know I'm far from the fullness of Christ. How about the perfect knowledge 
of the Son of God. Have we all reached the perfect knowledge of the Son of God? Well, of course, since I, I haven't, and I don't know anybody that can say that they have, we must say that God is still giving all these types of positions in the church to help His body attain or get stronger or grow stronger toward those ways. Uh, then there's one that God just showed me just this Wednesday morning. I, I was having my devotion time and reading through uh, Thessalonians, and God showed me this. I had never seen this before in my whole entire life. Almost 20 years I've been reading the Bible now. With the, with the godly assumption of this, who did the Apostle Paul minister with? Who, who did he go on his missionary journeys with? Who did he evangelize with? And who did he plant churches with? You have to keep that as a, as a thought in your mind. And as we're going through Acts, we're going to see, we're going to start today, we're going to see who he started to go with. But you have to think in your mind, those of you who have read the Bible, who did he go on those journeys with? And then through that, look at 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 6, we read this. Paul, he's become Paul now. He's not Saul of our scripture today. Paul, same person, he says this, For you yourselves know, speaking to the church there, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, so he's talking about the churches that they had been to and the cities that they had been to evangelizing and planting churches, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. Again, who did he go planting churches with? Who did he go around with ministering with? And who did he go with evangelizing with? Was it the 11 apostles plus Matthias? Absolutely not. Paul had a, missionary, a mission to the Gentiles. Uh, most of the other Jews had missions to the Jews. So Paul there saying, we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. We have to look through that as in, well, he, we have to look at who he went with to go do these things and then say, using our godly assumption here, we have to say that, well, since he didn't go with Peter and James and John, he went with people like Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and John Mark, as we just read here that they picked him up as a travel companion, we must say that he's saying here that those people, the ones that he went with to these cities, we're calling them, he himself called them apostles too. So you see, Scripture doesn't ever say once that there were only 12 apostles and, and, and there were never going to be any more. Plus, when you add sections like I just read to you, plus others that I didn't read to you of seemingly more apostles than just the 12 of Christ and Silas and Barnabas, I, I believe that there were more than just the 12. More since then and even still some today, always God having apostles in his church for what? The edification and the building up of the body of Christ, as Ephesians 4 says. Yet, Christians, be warned. And I give this warning with love. I'm writing to you now because if you speak these concepts of what the Bible doesn't say, along with there being more apostles than just the 12 original around some religious people in this world, they'll say that you're part of a cult. And they'll say, oh... You're, you're a cult. You're, you're, you're going against the 12 apostles of the Lamb. No, I'm reading my Bible. That's what I'm doing. I'm reading my Bible. Christian, when you are interpreting your Bible, the Bible that God has given you, you'll have to make godly assumptions. Please make sure that you're uh, using godly assumptions, not ungodly assumptions. Uh, some of the assumptions that people make upon Scripture, that Scripture is so plain that they're not true. We read here, uh, some people believe that God created more people on the earth than just Adam and Eve. That the Word of God said that there were two accounts, and the way you can read it other than the way it's supposed to be read, that there are more than just more than Adam and Eve when God created people on the earth. Yet, Genesis 3.20, along with many verses in the New Testament, says that uh, Adam said that Eve was the mother of all living, and it would mean people, the godly assumption. So if Eve was the one that was the mother of all people, 
How can we have another group somewhere created on the earth that people somehow say that there was another group of people created on the earth when Eve is the mother of all living human beings on the earth? Unless the Bible's wrong, which the Bible's not, Bible is my standard. I don't know about you, that's my standard. Bible says that Eve's the mother of all living people on earth. How, how about this one? We, we might, might know all this one from our famous Mormons who, who believe themselves to be Christians, but they're not, that uh, Jesus Christ is Satan's brother. Yes, they, you won't hear that in their church, but yes, that is something you have to be in there for a while, but Jesus Christ, they believe, is Satan's brother. Yet we have verses like John 1.14, just for one, moving along, that Jesus is called the only begotten Son of God. Now, if Satan was Jesus Christ's brother, why would Scripture say he was the only? If I have all of a pie, then I have every single last bit of it. If I'm the only one that exists, or if I have the only one of something in existence, how can it be? How can there be more? And if Jesus was the only begotten Son of God, then that means that God didn't have any other children that would equate to Jesus Christ. But yet, people believe this lie. Another one. Mary was a virgin until her death. Death. Even though, Matthew 1.25, Joseph did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. I mean, it, it, please, when, when you read Scripture, do it with the whole context of all the Bible and not just what you think your, or your denomination or, or somebody's taught you. Christians, be careful when you make assumptions. Make godly ones, ones that follow the context of God's Word as a whole, and stay away from interpretations that are not your own. Well, one famous saying that I'll, I'll claim to be famous, we have a guy that goes to church here, he has a saying, he says this, I used to be a Catholic, but then I read my Bible. And what, what is he saying? He's saying that I used to think one way about the Bible, about things about God, but then when I actually read the Scripture, then Scripture showed me I was wrong and I had to change, right? So now, let's move on. We shall, but we're going to move on to another similar point. Look at Acts 13.1 again, but we're going to study it out this time. Acts 13.1. Now in the church there that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaeum, who had been brought up with Herod of Tetrarch, and Saul. Now again, the disciples of Saul, Barnabas, are again back in Antioch, returned from their trip to Jerusalem to distribute the love offering to those churches in Judea. Again, one that we never read about, Bible silent, but we know by putting it all together. And here we are with our next controversial kind of point today, which the Bible said there that in that church were certain prophets and teachers. I'm seeing Ephesians 4 here again. Certain prophets and teachers. Well, my, my point here is to say that same group that doesn't believe that there's still apostles or that there were more than 12 apostles also will tell you that nobody has the position or the office of prophet either. All the prophets were gone. All the prophets were passed on. There are no more prophets anymore. Yet, Scripture just recorded here in Acts 13.1 that there are prophets in the church, and Acts 11, 27, and, the, and these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. And, and we're not just talking here about them having the gift of prophecy. We read the Bible calling them prophets as an office. Same as, again, Ephesians chapter 4. So, I, I hate to keep going on about this point, but, but the point is in Scripture that these things are so, and we read them, and, and we don't just read them when we look on the surface, we read them in depth too. It says here at the next part of that, of that verse, as we're breaking it down, the first part of verse 2, it says, as they ministered to the Lord. Well, you may say, well, how does that prove prophets in the church, Pastor Ed? Well, as they ministered to the church. Listen to the definition of the word ministered there in context. It says that they served at a state of one's own cost that to assume an office which must be administered at one's own expense to discharge a public office at one's own cost to render public service to a state. And that's what that word ministered, that these prophets in Antioch ministered to the people. They ministered with their, pro with their prophetic office. And the teachers 
taught with their teaching office that God gave them. Same as Ephesians 4. Christians, it's absolutely ridiculous to think any otherwise than Ephesians 4 is still going on and it's still going on to edify the church even to this very day. We must use our godly assumptions and and all of the contextual evidence of the Bible and all the exegetical evidence of the scriptures. We have to use it all uh, so that we can Make simple understandings and interpretations upon the scriptures of God. We must do these things. We cannot just listen to people that are our teachers that that teach us certain things, but they don't do these things. Don't believe man's doctrines, Christians. Don't believe man's doctrines. Believe your Bible. If your Bible says something, then believe your Bible. And please, if, if the Bible clearly teaches something that goes against what you believe or against what you've been taught, believe the Bible. Believe the Bible. Reject what you've been taught. Please remember, I used to be such and such, but then I read my Bible. Christians, read the Word of God and read it the way it's meant to be read, just the way God wrote it for you. Anyway. So these prophets, these teachers ministered to the Lord and they served in the offices that God gave them. Let's move on. What does the text show us next? What did they do next? On to our next and greatest portion of, uh, I would say, the sermon uh, of what they were doing while they were serving the Lord. They were also, the Bible just said here, that they fasted or they were fasting. Christians, fasting is an important part of your walks with Christ. Fasting can be an abstinence from food or from doing something that you love, maybe a time apart from you and your spouse, uh, a fast from something you love, the things you love, coffee, uh, caffeine, TV, Facebook, the computer, etc. And it really all depends on what takes up most of your time. What you find consuming you the most when you take a look at yourself and and if you look at yourself and just, you know, are honest with yourself. What takes up the most of your time and and what you want to give up for a certain amount of time. Why would they have fasted? Why should we fast as Christians? Well, number, number one, Jesus Christ said that we would. Number one in scripture, he didn't say that we should. The Bible still says that we see fasting all throughout the Bible. And Jesus Christ said that we would. But number two, we see that people fasted to number one, draw closer to God Almighty. Number two, they fasted to hear God's voice on a certain issue of their life. That's just to name a few. Uh, But it is for sure, Christians, fasting is an amazing way to, let's say, Keep your flesh in check and grow in a deeper walk with Jesus Christ and God Almighty and to help you hear God more clearly and more intimately and to get the answers or, or whatever you're maybe seeking God on and you're, or you're desiring to hear God on. Fasting is a great way to make those things happen in a more expedient way. Let's think about Esther back in the book of Esther, right? We all know the story, right? Uh, Haman was a man. He was coming against the Jews and he was wanting to destroy him. And he had got his in. He had came against the Jews and he was about to have all the Jews destroyed. So what happens? Esther finds out through her kind of stepfather and, and, she, and he says, we got to do something. You got to go to the king. Esther says, all right, I'll go to the king. Because if you went to the king other than being called by the king and the king didn't want you in his, in his presence, then you were automatically killed. That's just kind of how it went. So what happened was, is after Esther found out all this disaster, she called like a three-day fast. I think it was something like a three-day fast for all the Jews in all the region, all over the ones that they could get to talk to. Let's have a three-day fast, and then I'll do what I'm supposed to do. And let you know what? Let God be God. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die. If I'm going to live, I'm going to live. But this is what needs to be done. Well, she held a three-day fast, and all the Jews fasted throughout all the land. She, she appeared before the king, got the ball rolling, but what was the eventuality of it? God delivered the Jews from the hand of wicked Haman, right? Look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah is serving as a, as a, as a servant to the king. 
right? And, and some Jews had gone back to Jerusalem, though, to build the wall again, to get Jerusalem brought up again because it had been destroyed. And God was wanting to bring the exiles back, but the exiles were in disrepair. The exiles were just in absolute shambles. And, and the wall, they had been there for a while, and the wall wasn't getting built, and, and, and it was a mess. And so that news comes to Nehemiah, and, it, and he says this, Nehemiah 1.4. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days and was fasting and praying. And that would be the godly uh, assumption there would be the godliness. The godly assumption would be that he was also praying and fasting for many days, right? Before the God of heaven. And of course, after he did, what did God do? What did God do after he fasted and prayed for many days? God sent him. And when God sent him, God used him to get everything fixed up, to get everybody in order, to get everybody on the same team, to get everybody in the same mind, and to get that wall built. Fasting works in God's eyes. Look what happened when they fasted here in Acts 13 as they served God Almighty in the offices that God had given them. Look at the last of verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Uh, this case in point I just made, they were fasting, denying their flesh to see God on issues and to grow closer to Him. Those were godly assumptions too, by the way. And then they heard His Holy Spirit speak to them and give them clear instructions as to what exactly they were to do for Him outside the walls of the church. We just had a conversation about this in our, in our bi-weekly or bi-monthly fellowship. Uh, yes, we're supposed to love one another and serve one another, but what is our role in the world? Well, here... Uh, I'm going to make a godly assumption here and say, Lord, what do you want us to do for your church, to grow your church, to get this message of this Savior outside the walls? I'm going to say maybe that was why they were fasting and that was why they were praying, to seek God's face on, okay, we've got the church set. Antioch, it's a growing church. It's an awesome church. It's a church full of love. But Lord, this message can't stop here. What next? And, and so what does God do? He says, hey, you're seeking me. I say, I see that you're fasting. You're trying to get my attention. You're wanting to know. Okay, boom, I got some work for you. And he speaks to them. Now, the case in point I just made, they were fasting, denying their flesh to seek God and issues to grow closer to him. Godly assumptions. Coincidentally, just how powerful was their fasting before the Lord here? Just how powerful did God see their fasting? Scripture shows us as we move on from this point, that out of this, their, their devotion to God Almighty and, and, their, and their fasting and, and praying and seeking the Lord's face and their service to God in the church and their diligence to do all these things, that the greatest missionary journey that was ever born out of any church came out of this church. This is what God did. If you'll hold up your map or if you'll look online there to your map, this is what that means. This is, these are Paul's four missionary journeys that Paul, a man with no cell phone, a man with no car, a man with no airplane, a man, look at where he went. Just, just look at his journeys. Everywhere this one man went who was highly afflicted and, and was brutally beat up and, and, and terribly, terribly uh, treated, and even had some kind of ailment that, that caused him not to be right in the flesh somehow, some way. Maybe it was a limp or maybe a gimp, I don't know, something in his leg, something in his foot, we don't know. But he said, I have an affliction. Yet this man who had none of our modern day conveniences, if you see on that map there, if you notice on that map there, he evangelized like the entire area of Asia and Asia Minor. And that, my friends, my Christians, my brothers and my sisters, that missionary journey, all of those places, on sea, on boat and everything, all came, that missionary journey, those four missionary journeys, all came born out of their fasting and serving the Lord here in the church in Antioch. Wow. Christians, it can be really hard to hear God in the midst of all your daily grind, all of our news feeds, our children, our husbands, our wives, our kids, our grandkids, Facebook, Twitter, that old evil devil, his fallen angels, because each of these entities, as we can even see in our own lives, in each of these entities, they each want a piece of your mind and your heart. 
They, they're, they're just clawing for it. And, and what does our flesh want? <laughs> our flesh wants all that too. Our flesh goes, oh, eat it up. I want to be wanted. Oh, I want to be, I want to be the center of attention to, oh yes, everything for me, because our natural tendency as people, as flesh people, is to serve and love ourselves and serve and love our flesh. But a real true follower of Christ only allows some of their time to go to these things, and they don't allow these things to rule over them and be their master. But even though we don't let them rule over us, and we struggle and fight to keep our, our senses and to keep God in the center of our lives, life is still life, and life is still busy. Life still tries to steal our time away from spending time with Christ, time in His Word, and Christians, and ladies and gentlemen, fasting is and should always be a staple of a true Christian's faith and following Jesus Christ because it helps us to put all the noise out of our minds and it helps us to focus on God. It helps us to focus on His will. And when we do, when we put our flesh down, because it is, fasting is putting our flesh down, and we put it out of the way, it also does another thing. It does that for us, which is, praise God, that's awesome for us. But it also does one other thing. It shows God Almighty that we're serious about listening to what He has to say. And when God sees this, when God sees this action of fasting and praying, He is exceedingly pleased with it and sees it and then speaks with us in special and supernatural ways. And when God sees that you're seeking Him diligently, He generally will grant you the answer or the deliverance or whatever you're diligently seeking Him of or for in a great way. Because he is a good God. He is a good God. And he is a man of his word. Jeremiah 29, 13. I know we've heard this all before, but think of it in the context of seeking and fasting and praying unto the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 13. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Searching for him with all of our hearts. Wow. Hebrews 11.6, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 2 Chronicles 7.14, <clears throat> if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Notice when we really seek the Lord, and see and pray and seek His face. And we do that by prayer, and we do that by fasting, and we do that by, you know, just getting alone with the Lord and crying out to God consistently, right? Matthew 7, 7 and 8, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And I want to make this point here. The asking and the seeking and the knocking here is not just, well, Lord, one time I'm going to ask you for help in this one issue. Seeking is not, well, I, I looked for that $5 bill and I spent about a minute on it. I just guess I just can't find it. No. The asking and seeking and, and knocking here that God's talking about is something that we're continually doing. And you see here how God responded to all those I mentioned earlier, plus Saul when we pray and seek his face and fast, and the prophets and the teachers in Antioch here, their actions prompt God to speak to them, to send them on the greatest missionary journey ever to be that was ever born out of any ever, 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 ever. And you see, when God Almighty sees you super serious, he gets super serious about what you are super serious about, and his heart gets moved. 
That's just the way God works. And they were so serious, our last verse, they were so serious after they hear the Holy Spirit speak and give them this mountainous task. I'm going to make some godly assumptions here now, just just forewarning you. Verse 3, then they still, listen to this, then having fasted, that would be fasted again. Right? Because if they were fasting and serving the Lord before, and it says here that they, and then having fasted, that would be another time that they set aside. Maybe they started fasting something else, or maybe God spoke to them at the very end of their last fast, but they wouldn't mention fast here, godly assumption time here. It wouldn't mention that they fasted again here unless they did it again. So here we see that they were so serious about what God said, they fasted again. And then here they prayed again and laid hands on them, and then they sent them away. And, and of course, after they hear God's voice as to what he wanted them to do, then they realize they still had to seek him more, and that would be godly assumption time here, to seek him for strength, power, ability, what? To do what he called them to do. I don't know about you, but God's given me some pretty amazing things to do in my past for him. And I'm just being honest. In and of myself, I don't got it. In and of myself, I don't got it. I'm done. I cannot do what God wants me to do unless I get him to help me do those things that I need to do. Those are godly assumptions now, but nevertheless, they're godly assumptions going off of what I've been what I've seen in my life with God, what I've seen people in scripture do. And so I totally see here that they fasted again or for a second time for direction, strength to go on and to do what God told them to do because look at what happened right after they fasted and prayed. They laid hands upon them and then they sent them off. And I've been on the streets before with brethren doing uh, street evangelism. And, and one thing we do, we know God sent us out there. But now while we're out there, what do we do? We don't just pull up out there, park the car, shut it off, get out of the car, and then just go walk around. Oh, heavens no. We stop the car. We park the car. What do we do? We go stand off to the side, and we kind of talk for just a moment. And then what do we do? We pray some more. Now, we've been praying it sometimes on the way out there. We prayed before we were going there. We prayed the whole week we were going out there. But what do we do? We get there and we pray some more. Why? Because we know, every true Christian knows, every true child of God knows that you can't do what God called you to do in your own strength. Heavens know. And if you think you can, well, you're not ready for ministry. You cannot do what God called you to do on your own. Christians, be careful when you make godly assumptions on Scripture. Please make sure your assumption is contextual. Please make sure it's exegetical. Remember, you not coming into Scripture with your own interpretation in mind, looking for your own way, something you're, oh, it's got to be here. I just know that it's got to be here because so-and-so said, no. Look at it. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say on this subject as a whole, over all the Bible? Please be careful. And why? Ladies and gentlemen, there have been so many false doctrines and false teachings that have come out of doing it the wrong way, and I just don't want that to be us. I don't want that to be you nor me or anybody listening to me. All my godly, contextual, godly assumptions that I gave today of this sermon were all contextual, found in the Bible. Not just one verse. No, no, no. Scripture, whole sections, whole sections, Bible, whole Bible. Whole Bible. This is how you read your Bible. This is how you study your Bible. And this is how you make godly assumptions about your Bible. When you, you, you're you thinking of things and you want to like, oh, I want, some more, I want some more depth to this one situation. Oh, I wonder how Mary struggled with those, with those birth pangs. I wonder how Mary made it through. Riding on a camel, no yet. Having contractions. Wow. Well, the Bible doesn't say she had contractions, so can we say she had them? Heavens, yes, because all women have contractions when they're about to have a baby. Godly assumptions on Scripture. Contextual. Exegetical. Please. And number two, are you desiring to know God's heart or or hear God's voice on certain issues or or a certain issue that you're dealing with in your life or, or because you're in need of some direction in your life? 
Are you wanting to see God's face on these issues? Well, I would ask, Christian, uh, for any issue that you've been seeking God on or praying, just only praying to God about, I would ask you if you've tried fasting and praying. Setting your flesh aside. Showing God you're super serious about His Word and about hearing from Him. And not just, I'll throw up a quick prayer. You know, well, God, is that what you want us to do? Oh, yeah, okay. No, I just, you know. No, no, no. Seek His face with diligence on those issues. Please, uh, pray and fast. Diligently seek His face. Remember, fasting matters to God. It really does. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And when we look at Scripture, my famous my famous section of Scripture, one that God puts on my heart all the time, the one that I love, one of the most I love all and all and all and all and all. There's a couple of them. But, but, but the one that kind of compels is, is Jesus says, there was a man and he went and he, and he lay with his kid. And he lay with his family and he laid in bed. And, and a friend comes and he comes to his door and he, he knocks at the door and he says, my friend, I, I need some provisions. I have a traveler that's coming. And, and the man, he said he would not rise because he was there and because he needed something. But yet the Bible says because of his continual knocking, his continual coming, his continuing to, you could say, bother the man that was already in bed laying down with his family, that man got up. He rose up out of his bed and he gave the one the thing that he needed. And you know what? This is a, a parable that Jesus gave and how we ought to look at and how we ought to be with God on things that we really, really, really need. And, and I'll guarantee you what? Either A, if we come and knocking on God's door or we come and we're asking God for something or, or, or we're seeking God for something, if it's not his will and we show him that he, we're super serious about it, either A, he'll tell us, he'll give us a closed door and he'll say, no, that's just not what I'm going to give and here's why. Or B, he'll see that we're super serious and then he'll grant us what we're needing because... We were super serious about coming to him. Think of Esther. Think of a national fast for all the Jews for three whole days. Wow. But God answered her prayer. God answered their fast. Think of Nehemiah, how he said he fasted and prayed many days. And that God came through for him. And God's deliverance for Israel to get them back on track. Think of Cornelius the centurion, right? How he was diligent, Acts tells us, to, to pray and seek God's face every day. He prayed and sought the Lord's face every day. And yet the, him being a Gentile Roman <laughs> sent an angel to go call Peter, who had never ever gone in to a Gentile's house. And yet Peter came Remember Daniel, these are Cornelius Daniel. I didn't even mention these two today in our section of Scripture. But Daniel, he fasted and prayed many days to seek the Lord's face on certain revelations that he was shown or for certain problems that he had in his life. And, and you see, lastly, we look at Paul and him and his fellows, his fellow prophets and his fellow teachers there in Antioch. And they fasted and they served the Lord. And what do we see? God gave them the greatest missionary journey ever. Christian, if you really desire, number one, a closer walk with Christ, two, to really hear God's voice on an issue, three, earnestly want to know what God wants you to do and the direction he wants you to go, four, have strength to do something God Almighty told you to do, then please fast and seek God Almighty and Jesus Christ on those issues. And watch how God responds to your actions of diligence to seek His heart on your issue. And maybe you want deliverance from something that you do. Maybe you're bound with something that you feel like God telling you, I don't want you to do that anymore, my son. But Lord, I can't do that in my own strength. 
Lord, I, I can't do that in my own power. God says, all right, seek my face fast. Are you really serious about getting delivered from that issue? Are you really serious about not wanting to do that one thing that you don't want to do anymore that I don't want you to do? Are you really serious about that issue? Fast and seek God's face and pray about that issue and watch how God comes through. When we were younger, when we were a younger couple, when we were just kids, me and my wife, just, just younger, this would have been about 10, 11 years ago, I remember still God calling us from Arkansas, where I administered in Arkansas, to Texas. And in Arkansas, uh, my one youngest son had chronic ear infections. And, and I'll never forget how I prayed about coming here because I felt like God speak to me and say, I want you to go to Texas. And this is where I was feeling the Lord's moving us. And so I, I prayed and I prayed diligently. And I believe I fasted as well too, if I'm not mistaken. And, and what God did was uh, he healed my son completely for us to come. He gave him a complete deliverance from the ear infections when we got here. But that's the best part of the story. The, the, the not so good part of the story was some sin that I had in my life that I didn't really know was in my life and that God showed me once we got here. We, we weren't here for a couple months and his chronic ear infections came back. Ouch. And now we had some money. We were in a better place, making some more money in a better position. So we started going to a doctor and we tried every single solitary antibiotic that was known. And they would all, maybe a day, maybe two days, maybe a week, but then it would come right back. Well, me and my wife had sold a house back in an original state that we had started off from God. And me and my wife had a little nest egg that we had on the side. And, and I didn't realize it at the time, but God realized it at the time. And he wanted to winnow it away from me. But I held that little nest egg that we had acquired from the sale of this house as kind of an idol in my heart. And all the while, well, we're going to doctors. Of course, we didn't have health insurance yet, so it was all coming right out of our pocket. And so I was kind of complaining to the Lord, and it was a, it was a deep kind of, it was a deep worry in me. Lord, what if, because if he would have had to have tubes in his ear, that would have just wiped us out, the finances that we had had from the sale of this house. And without insurance, because we didn't have any insurance, it would have had to have been cash pay, getting tubes in his ears, and it would have wiped out our little finances that we had as a little nest egg. Well, God showed me, he brought this back, this, this, this ear infection deal back to our son to show me that I had this little aisle in my heart. But how did God show me? Well, I fasted and I fasted for two complete days with no food for his healing. And then at the end of two or three days, what did God do? God didn't heal him. But that was when, in the midst of those two days and right after, God showed me that I had an idol in my heart. So you see, he didn't heal my son until after I surrendered that idol to him. Then God brought the healing for my son. But the fasting helped me hear God clearly that I had that idol in my heart and that I needed to remove it. I needed to give it to God and I needed to make him the sole God of my heart and not this idol that I had of this little amount of finances that we had had from this sale of this house. Christians, fasting matters to God. Fasting matters to God. Get that through. And how I prayed earlier, how I, I, I long that you do, please don't just hear these words, but practice these words too. For they do you no good if you just hear them and you don't put them to practice. Now, how about you who maybe you're not so sure God's real? Or maybe you're not so sure which God is real. I mean, you know, after all, every single culture seems to have a different God, right? I mean, which God is the right God? I mean, there's a lot of so-called gods. Or, you know, are they all right, right? How about can the true God of all creation, whoever he or she may be, really be a good and loving God when you look at all the evil in the world? and you look at all the disasters, and you look at all the murders and the terrible things in this world, if I'm speaking about you or of you, then I want to let you know, by the way, the principle that I just talked about today for God's children applies 100% to you as well 
to. Jesus Christ is a man, a God-man, the God-man, the only begotten Son of God, and he's a man of his word. And, and remember what his word says, Jeremiah 29, 13, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And Hebrews eleven six, 6, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And, and Matthew 7, 7 and 8, ask. And, and again, the continual, not just, oh, are you real God? Oh, you're not going to answer me. Bye. No, no, no. Ask. Ask and ask and ask and seek and seek and seek and knock and knock and knock and keep knocking. And Jesus said, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and him who knocks will be open. Please, I encourage you, Diligently seek him. Diligently seek his reality. Diligently seek who he really is. Diligently seek his face on if he really is good and if he really is loving. And then just watch. Watch how he responds. Just just think about this principle, please, in, in in a real world, how you would react in a real world situation, right? Uh, Maybe if you've ever at any time been in need of a job, (laughs) your family's hurting financially, right? Uh, Maybe you're about to be evicted from your home. What do you do? Do you just go to the internet and click on one job and give a half-hearted application for maybe a part-time job or, you know, just a few dollars a week? Heavens no. You're going to be on that internet You're going to be on that internet at the library or at the McDonald's or wherever you can go to try to find that job, to be clicking away at every single job that you could possibly click away at because why? You really need some money. You really need to get your family a home. You really need these things. Think about that and how God says, seek my face. Maybe this one. You haven't eaten in a while. And you're really hungry, but you you've you've paid the rent and you've you've made the the, the bills, but but now there's nothing left over. Uh, are you just gonna go sit back in your chair at home and kick back and go, ah, oh, I'm gonna live with this hunger pain, boy. I'm really hungry. I'll turn on the TV. Oh heavens, no! You're gonna be knocking on the door of your manager's office, going, hey boss, I need some more hours. I need, I need some help here, man. We got, we got some help with families for employees, you know, that they're, they're struggling on or, or, oh, you can't uh, click, click, click on the internet. I, I, hey, JC Penny. Hey, McDonald's. I, are you hiring? I, I'm willing to work. I'm hungry. My family's hungry. We, we need to get some food. You're not just going to sit back. You're going to seek a job to feed yourself and your family diligently in order to get what's needed. How about this one? This, this, is, this is probably the one that I, I love that God gave me the, the most here. Let's say you're walking along and you see a $100 bill on the ground. Ooh, $100 bill. But then right as you're walking toward it, a big gust of wind comes. And it picks it up and it kind of carries it away. But you don't, you don't kind of see where it goes. Are you just going to keep walking? Oh, well, $100 bill. Whatever. I guess... I guess somebody else will just get it. Oh, you better, you better believe that you're not gonna. You better believe you're gonna climb fences. You better believe that you're gonna go go scaling walls. You're gonna believe it. You're gonna be looking, you're gonna be on your hands and knees underneath bushes, looking underneath bushes, separate bushes, looking under cars, looking under tires. You're gonna seek that hundred dollar bill until you find that hundred dollar bill. Are you gonna seek God the way you'd seek that hundred dollar bill? Are you going to ask and seek and search for God the way you sought out that $100 bill? Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible, Isaiah 55, 6, Seek the Lord while He may be found. And then that means do it while you're alive. Because you will not be able to seek the Lord once you die. Once you die, whatever decision you made in this earth, that's your final one for all eternity. Seek the Lord while you're alive. Call upon Him while He is near. If you find yourself here listening to this message and you're not sure and you're the person I've been speaking about, and you're here because you're thinking about God. You're here because you're wondering about God. You're here because God's drawing you and you're responding a little bit. 
So now take the next step. Seek the Lord. Seek God Almighty. He may be found by you because he's near to you. Acts chapter 17. The Lord is not far from any one of us. Seek the Lord while he may be found. While you are alive, while you have a chance, while you are still alive to do so before you die and the end comes. And just watch. Just let the Lord be the Lord. And just watch. He will show up. Either way, he's either going to help you with what you need if you're a struggling Christian and you're not sure, or he's going to reveal himself to you if you don't know him in a supernatural, mighty, and awesome way. But seek the Lord with all your heart. And if you're a Christian, fast and pray and seek the Lord with all your heart. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord God, for your word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for the examples, Lord God, that we have in your word. Thank you so much, Lord God. Oh boy, Lord God, I just thank you, Lord, how you were, how, how we see, how we see people do some stupid things in the Bible, Lord, and then you just don't respond in a positive way. Then we can follow that example. Hey, don't be stupid like that person was stupid. Stay away from that. But then, Lord, we have those examples in the Word where they did something, and Lord, you came through in a massive way. God, wow! And Lord, we should follow those ways. And I pray, Lord God, for all whom this message reaches out to, Lord God. We pray, Lord God, that they would seek you in a serious way on whatever it is that they're dealing with, Lord God, so that you can come through for them in a serious way as well, too. God, thank you so much for the character that we know that you have, Lord God. And I thank you, Lord, that you are a good God and that you are good and that you are loving and that you are awesome. And that you will reveal yourself, Lord, if we just seek. And we thank you. And we love you. And we praise you. We ask all these things and pray for all these things diligently, Lord, every week as we do. In Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.